Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt, Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. It works. It works. It works. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the H2O Podcast. My name is Jason Hunt. And I am Timothy Harvey. And Finally, I can say there are four monitors. We've had uh, since since the since we took a break and we came back. I have been having so many issues with the computer because I had to swap out the tower, and for whatever reason, it just was not cooperating. And now, finally, I got a fix from the people who make the video card. They sent me an email that said, try this. And I did, and it works. And lo and behold, we've got four monitors, and I'm very happy. Woohoo! Woohoo! Well, because now I can actually put things where I need to put them and, and spread out a little bit more, because any time, especially if I've got an interview, and we end up having to pull up you know, websites or, or any kind of, you know, news articles or things to reference. Now I can, now I've got a monitor where I can pull that up and I still, you know, I'm not overlapping 12 different things in one right. monitor. So right. it's the little things, right? It's the little Take things. Take the places where you can find them. That's right. I, I will count that as a win. And, uh, you know, I've got coffee. I've got four monitors. I'm good to go. <laughs> As we tackle a subject that has the potential to, yeah, well, have I, some issues. I, I'm not. I'm not sure it is because we've talked about this before. The idea, and you've you've suggested it, and I. The more I think about it, the more I think maybe I could agree with you on it. Is the the question of reboots and remakes? Now, last week we talked about Babylon Five coming back. And it's going to be a brand new reimagining. J. Michael Straczynski saying that it's going to be similar to what you got with Westworld and Battlestar Galactica with those reboots. And I, I generally tend to reject the the word reimagining mm -hmm. because that's a fancy way of saying it's a reboot. And you've you've suggested at times uh, on more than one occasion that if you're going to do a reboot if you're going to remake something then you should concentrate on the things that didn't work the first time and the more i think about it the more i think i, I have a tendency to agree with you maybe not necessarily on every single thing that didn't work but right I, i'm i'm constitutionally uh, defensive and defiant and I will automatically reject the idea of a reboot no matter what. But there are some where I could probably wiggle a little on that and say, okay. And I've got one in particular in mind that's technically would be a sequel, but given how much time has passed since the original it would end up probably having to be a reboot at the same time. So a requel, if you will. Okay. Because you'd probably have to recast everything. Uh, because if it was successful and they wanted to make more, you'd have to have a younger cast. Because the, sure. or, the original cast is now old enough that you could only get away with it maybe twice. Buckaroo Banzai versus the World Crime League. That one to, to make yeah to make that film you would have to recast everybody. everybody yeah and I've been thinking about it and I don't know who I would cast as as Buckaroo Bonsai I think you could do I think you could put David Desmalchin in as New Jersey um how about John Cho what. I no, no I I don't think so because part of the part of the gag for Buckaroo Banzai was the fact that he wasn't Asian to me because yeah he had he, he, you know he had the he had the dad who was Asian and but you know, you never saw him except in the extended cut you never saw him and I think part of the 
part of the tongue-in-cheek nature of the story is the fact that his last name is Bonsai and he has no no Asian in him whatsoever. I think if you cast somebody like John Cho in there, then you start to lean into Asian stereotypes and, well, yeah, sure, his name is Bonsai, so he's got to be Asian. You know, well, he probably knows karate and he's got a ninja costume in his closet. You know, all of those things start to play in. Plus, if you're doing the World Crime League, you you have the opportunity to have a really good, meaty, beefy Asian villain role with Han. True, true, true. So, I mean, that, that would be... I could be ponder that one. But yeah, I would, I would. I'm like, who would you have? Well, you know, but you know what? Maybe you do what you did with the original. Is that is that while he had certainly, you know, done the work before, they essentially cast uh, the most of the cast is relative unknowns. Yeah, John Lithgow um, was, you know, pretty much the biggest one of the big. Yeah, he was probably the biggest name. Yeah, at that time. At, at the time, because Christopher Lloyd had just done Taxi. Had he was that before or after Star Trek Three? I can't remember. Before, okay. Pretty yeah. No, I'm pretty sure it was before. Um, yeah, no, I think um, I think uh, you might actually want to go and recast that from scratch and and go from folks that are not necessarily known and give them a chance to because again you're talking about potentially if you were to try, if, it, if it were to grow into a, a, a more films which would be you know if it was good that's what you'd want sure. in this era of franchises um having a chance to have folks live in those roles for a while would be great but uh uh yeah no i mean that, that's a tough one because it's and that's interestingly enough because i was looking at a lot of stuff that i was coming up with and in some cases, these could serve as sequels uh, or continuation of the various things. Because, of course, you know, I started kind of started in a place from horror. Although I started, I started with, oh, this one hurts. This one hurts to say it because I love this movie, but it's also uh, kind of a flawed adaptation of the source material. There's nothing wrong with the film. It's not that it's a bad movie. It's that getting a two and a half hour version. Some of the things that we're able to do now that we weren't able to do then. Right. Uh, visually. Okay. I, this is going to hurt to say it. Something wicked this way comes. I love that film. Jason Robard is incredible in that film. Jonathan Price, a young Jonathan Price, is all kinds of creepy yeah. in this film. It is a well-crafted film that is a product of its time. Well, and I can see doing a remake of that one because it's it's not like a Star Wars, for example, where you have particular actors that are so, so definitely connected to those characters that it's hard to recast um you know no, it's, yeah it wouldn't be a question of recasting there's it, it it gets into a point where it it almost captures the tone of the book mm -hmm. it's got i mean there's there's a lot to recommend about the film if you've never seen the film something wicked this way comes folks you should watch it it's a quieter kind of horror it's a it's more dark fantasy. It's Ray Bradbury. It's it's you know um, there's that American Gothic feel to all of his stuff. That's almost dreamlike quality. Right. But there's a whole bunch of nightmare fuel that is built into the story. That not only was it not the kind of thing you would get on screen at that time, but also the ability to do some of the the effects in the film. The practical effects in the film are generally effective. But you could do a lot more of that. And I think that we've reached a point now where some of the, the scarier and more heartbreaking, there's a, it's a very tra there's a lot of tragedy baked into that story that I think that you could, in the hands of the right director, you could do something that really um, be really amazing. And, and it's one of those things like, but I like this movie. Why do I want to remake it? Well because it's it gets this far 
in what it could be. Right. And then it's it's not that it was it was a lack of of talent. It was some of the just the ability to do the thing. I'd see that one falling into the same category as something like in Invasion of the Body Snatchers or um, uh, the last uh, uh, Omega Man, you know, that that uh, set of films that, you know, has been made. I don't know how many times now. Um, and I know they did a, I know they did a body snatchers here a few years ago. It didn't, it didn't go over well at all. It didn't perform well at the box office. I think that was the Daniel say, Craig, um, Daniel Craig, uh, um, I want to say Gwyneth Paltrow was in it. It wasn't Gwyneth Paltrow. It was Daniel Craig and it was, wasn't Michelle Pfeiffer, redhead, Australian, was married to Tom Cruise. Um, Nicole Kidman. Thank you. Yeah. God, it was, wasn't it, I think it was Nicole Kidman. Yeah. Um, I heard I heard Mrs. Boss yell from uh, other other studio that Nicole, brain just had a brain. Target. Nicole Kidman. Uh, yeah. Well, and and it, the thing is, is that it's uh, that's the kind of story, and I think I think something wicked this way comes could certainly can be as well is the kind of thing where it can be a story that's retold. Mm-hmm. For a new generation without necessarily infringing on what makes the first film entertaining because again the the biggest issue for something we get this way comes is not that there was not a lot of talent involved that, that did a very good job it's that what we what we will accept for a horror film or a dark fantasy where with with children involved because um, of course if you've not seen the film or read the read the story and both of these you should do um, the main character, the two main character are kids. Yeah. Um, and and while American audiences generally don't particularly, they, they have a problem with putting children in danger, even in horror films, where we're not quite as precious as we used to be about that. Um, and there's a lot, you know, it's a, it's a coming of age story in some respects. Uh, and recognizing that just because you're, your elders don't meet the quote unquote definition of a hero. Um, well, you, I mean, doesn't mean they're not. And there's nothing wrong with having a protagonist who's not a hero. Well, and I think that, I think that's one of the things that Jason Robards does amazingly well in that film is that he portrays a good man <clears throat> who, when when faced by you know uh an otherworldly evil um doesn't react as an action hero and i think you know he reacts as uh, there's 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 a lot again a lot to recommend about the film and i and i i truly love the movie um but i i think it i think it could definitely use a remake um with you know the right cast the right director it could be something really amazing now my concern would be is that someone would try to do it as like a six episode prestige series. And this is one where I would actually say no, two and a half hours. There's, there's enough story there. There's not too much, too little story there that you have to, you know, the problem is I feel that they'd flesh it out and it would dilute things. Yeah. Um, and the original is like an hour and a half long, give it an extra hour. And I think it would be fine. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of things that I would, flip that around and say, give me more time to tell the story. But this is one of those ones. I think it would be two and a half hours tops. I think, I think the other, the other thing about that is if you, if you spend more time than necessary, just simply because you can, because, Hey, it's, you know, it's Netflix, it's 10 hours. And then, then you run into the challenge of, Okay, we got to fill the time, and you start adding a bunch of stuff that's not in the original. Um, I, I'm thinking in particular about the animated adaptation of The Long Halloween, mm-hmm. because you've got part one and part two. You've got these animated Batman pictures, which, if they were standalone, if they were original and not based on anything then okay fine they they're perfectly acceptable batman animated movies however 
since they are based on the book and since they take liberties with the adaptation to the point of completely changing the plot and adding scenes in, in addition to that, adding things that didn't happen in the book, now I'm suddenly sitting there thinking, I don't like this because it's not giving me what I expect. They're, they're, they're selling it as an adaptation of the book by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. And it bears a passing resemblance to that. But there's a whole lot in that two-part movie that's not in the book. And it annoys me because it doesn't add anything to the story. It doesn't improve anything. It just changes it for the sake of changing it. Because they, they essentially, they're telling a completely different story. And that's annoying. Well, I, and yeah, I can, I can definitely, we've seen more than once something gets adapted, adaptation in name only. Yeah. Right. Um, or they, they, they pick up the source material and they waved it in the general direction of the set and, <laughs> um, you know, could call it, you know, uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, Alan Moore, of course, is the poster child for adaptations. Uh, I almost, uh, it's on here. It wasn't one of the films I was actually going to talk about, but from hell, hmm. which of course is Jack the Ripper. Uh, you know, his, his seer, the, the from hell graphic novel is a very different beast than the Johnny Depp movie. And in many ways it's a Johnny Depp movie as opposed to an adaptation of Alan Moore. And, and that's yeah. fine. You know, there's, but it's, it's a very, it's almost, it's so much of a different beast than the source material that again, why would you even say adapted from now? Well, no, not really. Um, and that, that is one that, that is one that you would want like six episodes or eight episodes because it's so dense in information, sure. but it's also unnecessary, quite frankly. Um, that's one of those that uh, if you, if you want it, there's been so many Jack the Ripper stories that I don't necessarily know. And, and someone feel free to argue with me folks, but I don't know that it's a necessary adaptation. That's a remake that I'm like, you could, I don't think you need to because you're better off going back to the source material and just reading the source material. Yeah. Then, than even trying to make a, an adaptation um, because it, the, it mixes the best elements of, of a docudrama and a history lesson. Uh, on the page and um, while it ends up being a very gripping read I'm not sure it would translate well visually in, in the way that I think people would want it to but I think opinion. it would depend on who directed it yeah well and I think it would again if you were to if you were to do it as like a six episode or eight episode series and just give it like not even worry about pacing mm -hmm. just sit there and go okay it, it, it unfolds as it unfolds you'd have an audience for it because yeah. but it's it's also not it's it'd be a tough sell because i think you'd have to sit there and go right so we've got six episodes every episode is going to some episodes are just going to stop <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to do that but that's yeah. i think what you would almost have to do with this uh but anyway um but one of the ones that uh i think again just a feature film. You could do it. You could do it as an extended uh, thing, but uh, Ghost Story. And so this is a came out in 1981, mm -hmm. and it starred Fred Astaire, Douglas Fairbanks Jr., Alice Krieg, John Houseman, and Mer and Melvin Douglas. If those some of those names are familiar, Alice Krieg was the Borg Queen. Uh, Douglas Fairbanks Jr. was, oh, I don't know, one of the greatest swashbuckling movie stars in the history of film. Uh, Fred Astaire did a little dance number every now and again. Yeah, he danced um, with a mouse once. Uh, John Houseman. Yeah, I mean, yeah, these are these are really, really incredible actors. Um, and this is based on a uh, uh, 
a horror novel by Peter Straub, who's one of the great horror. You don't hear his name as much, but he's a, he's an amazing horror author. Um, and it's a film about the sins of your youth coming back to haunt you. Like they and do. it stars this amazing groups group of older actors. Some of these are this is the very ends of their careers. Um, and the book is this rich exploration of the sins of the past, and uh, the the it has both these old men with with secrets and the younger the younger male lead, and all of these things just don't gel in the movie and it's not scary and it's got so much potential for just a really deep not only um visually disturbing horror film mm -hmm. but also an emotionally unnerving yeah because news flash we're all getting older speak for yourself and i plan to live you, you look you look back at your past and you think of the mistakes you've made. And from time to time, that stuff that pops up, pops up in your head. You think, boy, you know, I wish I'd done da, da, da. Yeah. yeah. Well, what if you did something so bad that something otherworldly has decided that it's time for you to pay. <laughs> and the thing about it, you, you have these, um, you know, the hero, you do the same thing you did in this film. You cast, you know, you get, you know, Clint Eastwood, you get, you know, um, uh, Johnny Glover, you get, you get, uh, Morgan oh, Freeman. no, you get John Glover and Danny Glover. Ooh. Um, you, you get these, you get these older actors who, who these faces that we've, we know and, and, and we recognize the, the we have an emotional attachment to Bruce Dern, uh, Bruce, oh, Bruce Dern. I mean, you could, you could cast, you could, you could have so much fun with the casting. Yeah. Um, and there's so much nightmare fuel, just pure, unadulterated nightmare fuel. But one of the things that Straub does really well, um, and we're seeing this in, in these these uh, expanded, you know, you get like the uh, uh, Haunting of Hell House and that sort of thing, where the the horror is understated, yeah, and then it's big. And this is a, this is a story that would lend itself well for it. And quite frankly, it's one of those films that if you didn't see it in the early 80s if you never picked it up on video you probably don't even know this movie exists i think i'd and, heard of it but i've never seen it but it's I mean, like i said it's it's got it's got this amazing cast no. and and it's just unfortunately i mean they all do a fine job but the material the the script is the script is a thin, it's thin gruel, folks. <laughs> thin, thin gruel compared to the uh, the books. And and Straub is actually um, one of those authors that, quite frankly, um, he's got several books that should be adapted into film or miniseries. I'm, and it, I'm still waiting for um, The Talisman, the book that he well, wrote with yeah, Stephen I mean, yeah, King. I so, mean, that, that thing has been in development for how long now? I wouldn't think is is that we're at this point now where Kings, you know, they're they're giving us these really rich adaptations yeah. of of King again, and I, I've got this on my list here. Needful things, <laughs> needful things, folks. Max von Sydow, you, admittedly, Max von Sydow is the devil. I, that's an amazing reason to watch that film. He is so he is clearly having so much fun going. You know, I was Ming the Merciless, but now I'm the actual <laughs> devil. I mean, he's he's great in it. Um, and there's some fantastic uh, uh, moments in that movie, but it's such a trimmed down, paired away version of the actual story. Needful Things is one of those you want to do like six or eight episodes. Yeah. Because you really have to build up the social environment and the and the town and all those things so that your last two episodes can just be insane <laughs> um but uh yeah that's 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 one but yeah you're right i mean the talisman is i mean think about it it's it's basically this this is this is how you pitch it ladies and gentlemen what if stephen king wrote, wrote lord of the rings it's wrong 
it's wrong. Yeah, but, I, but that's how you pitch it to a studio. <laughs> I, that's okay, how you pitch it to a studio. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, because if well, and the other part of that is, what if Stephen King wrote Lord of the Rings and and Samwise was a werewolf? <laughs> There's all you, but that's I mean that, that's your that's your you know. You get, you're you're sitting in front of the studio guys and you're yeah. going, okay, here's what it is. And they like, all right. Christopher in the chat, who would you cast in the Ghost Story reboot? Because we talked about, you, you mentioned John Glover. You mentioned, um, uh, you know, we talked about Clint Bruce Eastwood, or Clint Eastwood. Uh, Clint Eastwood would be fantastic in it. Um, uh, I, and I want to, I'd, I'd want to actually skew closer to what the cast of the original, or they were in there. These guys, these were guys in their seventies yeah. and eighties. Morgan Freeman, um, maybe Gene Hackman. Hmm? I mean, Gene Hackman's Gene, re, uh, he's, he's retired. He's retired. He's retired but, but but to be perfectly honest, if he came back and did it, that would be amazing. Yeah. Um. Um. Bruce Stern, you mentioned, I think would be fantastic. Um. Now, one of the things that they did with the original is that all of these guys have these very cultured very you know this is the premise of course is that these were very well off young men right michael uh, douglas at the time hmm? michael douglas oh see michael douglas would be fantastic in it um god see now i really want i really want michael douglas gene hackman um clint eastwood uh danny glover oh but it wouldn't i i, I Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah. At the point of that one, but yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that is that a lot of these actors, these older actors, and, and this is an unfortunate one here because this is you know we we see this where we don't have as many um, uh, parts for older actors generally. Um, folks who are still incredibly talented just don't. I mean, and you know they get cast. We, we cast younger actors. That's how it works. Um, or they get put into something like the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which makes them decide they're going to retire forever. That too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, oh gosh, there would be this, this, this would be one to really kind of dive in and, and do, make like the perfect wish, mm -hmm. wish list. These are just, these are just some preliminary ideas, but uh, this is one that, again, this is, this is a film that um, it's out there, folks. You can definitely check it out. If it's, it's worth checking out for this cast. Yeah. But it's it's like I said it's it's twenty five percent of the novel, really. Well, and, and that's unfortunate. Given given your time constraints on how long of a movie you you could make back then. Well, right, but I mean, even if even if you stuck to a feature film and gave us again two and a half hours, give it that extra forty five minutes yeah. that we wouldn't weren't necessarily getting, I think you could do it. Although I think it would actually serve be served well by a four hour six hour. Uh, um, short run series, but yeah. I think eight hours, which is a lot, what a lot of these things are, it would be too long. Yeah. Uh, Sci fi snob in the chat, I know he's being uh, uh, pr uh, uh, snarky here. Reboot the 18 with an all female cast, Leslie Jones as B.A. Baracus. <laughs> <sighs> so, uh, just a little aside there, we had an 18 reboot. Yeah. And Ask yourself, do we really want to go down this path again with any cast? No, no. But here's no, here's here's a couple of them. This 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 is from we got two. I, I got two here on my list. Um, one's from 1982. One's from 1984. Megaforce and the Ice Pirates. Okay, Megaforce, <laughs> I don't need. Ice Pirates, I want. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you could do either. You could do both of them. I mean. There, this is the same. This is the t same time frame as uh, Sam Jones's Flash Gordon. You mentioned you mentioned Max von Sydow's being the Merciless. This all these all came out about the same time. Oh yeah, and they all do. In fact, in fact, going through this list, um, 87, 80, 76, mm -hmm. 88, 81. Yeah, but I think you could do uh, you could do a remake of both of those because you know Ice Pirates is. It's kind of Star Wars. Megaforce is G.I. Joe. I mean, it's it's kind of along those lines, even so, to the point so, where you uh, uh, interesting little trivia point. They didn't have a costume designer on Megaforce. Mattel designed the costumes. So here's yeah. my question, yeah. because at the time, 
It was an over-the-top, ridiculous movie. Mm-hmm. It is not a question of looking back at it uh, with right. with hindsight. It's at the time. Tongue, That's what it was. Tongue planted firmly in cheek, yes. Oh, yeah. And it has only continued to be. <laughs> yeah, but now so you do. You and I have talked about you and I have talked about this before, though, which is the danger of going into some of these older things, because this is one which honestly, I think would be ripe for playing it as a comedy if you had the right writer and director for it. Or if you go completely 180 and make it a serious, dramatic Almost a uh, uh, um, uh, um, oh, filter through the Mission Impossible lens. Well, not necessarily that one. What's the uh, What's the one that that Stallone's been doing lately? The 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 paramilitary guys. The oh, the uh, um, Expendables. Expendables. Yeah, you do Megaforce like that. Okay, and but the bring in a bunch have of names. their tongue crammed so far in their cheek. Too. I know, but it's a but it's a straight up action flick. It's not we're not doing oh, yeah. Shakespeare. It's this is the no, thing, and no, it's no. it's fun, but it's not parody. And if you take Megaforce and you did the same kind of thing, that same kind of approach and tone and style, you could do the big explosions. You could do all of the big the big set pieces. Kind of like Mad, Mad Max Fury Road, you know, you you do all of this gigantic practical stuff. Well, honestly, you could make a you could make a GI Joe movie without making calling it GI Joe and make a better movie than we've had from how many GI <laughs> Joe films? Have? Right, right. Because I think the GI Joe films fail to understand that it's a toy, mm-hmm. and. That, nah. yeah. Um, but quite frankly, Ice Pirates. Um, that's one of those films. It's one of my my. I'm not going to say guilty pleasure movie. It's not a great movie, but it's fun, and it's actually got some neat ideas. And it was literally meant to cash in on Star Wars. I mean, that's what it, right. That's what it was. Well, so so was Battle Beyond the Stars. You could remake you know, that one too. <laughs> I don't think you. Could, I don't think you could remake Battle Beyond the Stars and have you enjoy the same things you enjoy about that film well what you do is you take battle beyond the stars which is clearly a ripoff of star wars oh it's a cash grab and it's a straight you, up... you make roger corman you make the empire strikes back sequel to battle beyond the stars take take battle beyond the stars and now what's the empire strikes back equivalent of the sequel to battle beyond the stars but you'd have to recast. Yeah. And part of the joy of that film is how ridiculous it is that John Boy from the Waltons <laughs> is your hero. Yeah. And how much your brain is going. And then and in and, and in all fairness, okay. you know, that's just that's 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 the that was the power of cult, of T V culture at the time, yeah. right? That because you you play this part on TV and you are this is how you're locked into the cultural consciousness of your audience, but you still look at I mean so Simple we, Danning so George we Papard. Modify, we modify the idea instead of doing the Empire Strikes Back, the equivalent of the Empire Strikes Back for for this, you bring Richard Thomas back to play that character again in the Force Awakens equivalent of Battle Beyond the Stars. I I think I want to see this. I don't know if it's going to be any good, but I well, think the, I want to see Battle Beyond the Stars wasn't any good. No, but Battle Beyond the Stars is a guilty pleasure movie. Yeah. It is it 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 knows exactly what it is. It's reveling in what it is, and everybody involved has sat there and went, "I'm getting a paycheck. I'm gonna have a good time." Yeah. There's and and yeah. There's another but it's not a good movie. No, no, not at all. There's another movie like that. Um and you can tell everybody's having a good time. Nobody's taking it seriously. And it's ripe for a remake or a sequel even. Spaced Invaders. Prepare to die, Earth scum. I mean, 
You talk. You, you mentioned you know Richard Thomas and Battle Beyond the Stars, how he was associated with John Boy all the time. You've got Doug Barr in that movie, and he's the sidekick from the Fall Guy. I mean, that's that's what everybody knows. Doug Barr is the sidekick from the Fall Guy, and he's the lead in this, playing the sheriff. Is well, he's the adult lead. You've got the little girl. I think you'd have. To, I think you'd have to take this from scratch because I think that. The the folks like you and me who watched that movie when it was <laughs> new and who would be the audience for a sequel, right? Yeah, right. Um, there aren't enough of us. But I think for a brand new audience, taking it as a, a brand new thing um, and treating it, you know, just rebooting it from scratch, that could actually be a lot of fun. Well, the part, the part, part of the setup, though, the challenge for doing it as a remake, that story depends a great deal on the War of the Worlds, because the setup is Mars is invading Earth. They think because they pick up the transmissions of the Orson Welles or whatever you know the radio show is like, oh, we're invading Earth. Nobody told us. Let's go invade Earth, and that—that's the whole premise of the of the thing. So you'd have to come up with a new way of introducing the idea of Mars invading Earth. Maybe, maybe with the maybe with the probes that we've landed on the planet. So who are these guys? You know, how, how dare they? You know, mess up our front yard and and how go do that. But, you know, because I don't think, you know, you talk about the people who have seen the first one, you know, being of you know, a certain age. There are not a whole lot of people around who have a ready recollection of the War of the Worlds radio show that Orson Welles did and caused a panic of, uh, up and well, down true. the eastern seaboard. True, but I think that, that that's one of those things that is so ingrained in American culture that I think... It would work. Now, the question would become... The is, younger, and of course, younger people wouldn't know it because anything that happened before they were born didn't happen. Well, but I, I'd be more concerned, actually, about your international audiences. And, of course, in studios, factor in international audiences. And right. War of the Worlds was very much a U- U.S., you know, very American uh, uh, phenomenon. I mean, you know, it, it, didn't, it didn't have that... Uh, uh, it didn't build up that reputation overseas. But there, there um, have so, been remakes. I mean, you've got the Tom Cruise oh, movie. Sure. I think BBC did did a version. You had the C, the the series that ran on I think UPN for a little while. Mm-hmm. So people have revisited that story every now and again. But the radio, the radio drama sensation, is really the stepping off point for that movie. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure how you would how you would get into the premise in a remake. Oh, I think with the right writer, you could make that happen. Um, yeah, that would be fun. I think I think I'd like that. Yeah, Christopher says I'm uh, still waiting for the last Starfighter reboot. There's keep waiting. There's a sequel. There's a sequel in the works. Okay, I'll believe it when I get a trailer. I, well, yeah, but as far as I know, and from everything that we've heard from you know Catherine Mary Stewart and and all of the gang that's that's involved. The guy who wrote the first one has been working on a script for a sequel. I'll believe it when I have a trailer. Yeah. And that's, that one is going to be one of those that I'm going to be worried about because I'm, I think again, if you were at the right place in the right time and saw that in the theater, Mm -hmm. that's just such a fun movie. Um, But a film that came out about the same time, Enemy Mine. Oh, Yeah. Dennis Quaid, Lou Gossett Jr., and it is a, again. It's based on a. It's based on a on a, on a novel, and it's about now. Quite frankly, the novel goes to places that I don't necessarily think the film would need to. So it's one of those where the the adapt. It's it's not a great adaptation of the source material, but as a film, it stands pretty solidly on its own. Yeah. And what's interesting about the film, again, if you haven't seen it. Um, and I'll try not to be so spoilery here, but it's two soldiers from in a war who end up having being trapped alone uh, on a planet together. And they're from different species. It's an intergal. It's, it's an uh, interstellar war, 
and you have these two and they're forced to work together to survive and it ends up being you know there's this is one where the this the commentary could actually work by making it stronger unless unless there is a real risk and a real danger for that to go way over the top and oh i know i know i know know. but the thing is is that it's they they because they also kept it within sort of the science fiction action movie Mm -hmm. feeling um they they didn't go as far as they could have it would be a fine line you would only want to push it so much further yeah but i think when you know um you know that could be one where you could get six episodes or eight episodes out of it uh and and do by by bringing more of the book in uh to flesh it out a little bit more but also to give a chance to really develop these characters and and really dive because what we don't get from them except in in little bits this is one of those things where you could give flashbacks to their lives before sure i mean you could you could spend that whole first ep- the whole you don't you don't even you don't even crash on that planet until the end of the first episode so you've got <laughs> a whole hour you've you got a you know right um so i, I that's actually and again you know the dennis quaid the, the the really that big you know he's a star early part of his career where he just really broke out. Everyone was wanting to cast him and everything. You know, Lou Gossett Jr. Just oh, he was really in everything being... too. I mean, how many Iron Eagle movies did he make? And acting under some not exactly easy makeup. Yeah. Yeah, the prosthetics um, that, on there were that, pretty we, impressive. That could be improved a lot in terms of the actor's comfort level. But that would be that would be one where I'd like to see a modern version of. Um, I, I could see it. But yeah, I, uh, my my concern would be... Oh yeah. Well, the, because given given today's climate, it would be very easy to go over the top with message film because those two characters are the other for each other. Mm-hmm. And when you get into that sort of thing, you could very easily get into all sorts of beating you over the head stuff and and the whole well, thing. Well, you'd also thing you'd also want to to the thread the thread the needle in the fact that there are it's one thing to try and understand other people it's one thing to try and get the other person's perspective understand from where they are coming from yeah but there are time but um like in in, in anything else there are limits so it would it, yeah in the hands in the hands of a of a of a talented writer and director um, who who were willing to thread the needles that are da- the dangerous waters that that one could have? I think um, I think it could really be a really strong story, though. If I were to do it myself, and I I'm not in a position to, but I think I would probably use as my starting point a line from Men in Black, where Kay uh, says, "A person can be smart; people are stupid," and the mm-hmm. approach on that would be, you know we make these blanket assessments of groups and it may be based on the behavior of one or two or three. It may be a a chance encounter that goes badly. And all of a sudden, you know, we, we, we have this idea in our head that everybody is like that in this, in this group, whatever the group is. And if you were to, position it to show just how dumb that is sometimes Mm -hmm. to make assumptions about a person because they belong to a group but yeah you're right it have it have to be very very carefully done no matter who's doing it well i mean there's a certain amount of of the propaganda of war that's built into that story yeah um and of course you have the the other fact that you've got two alien species who don't necessarily communicate well um, it, it, I, I think you would potentially run into the same problem they ran into with Ender's Game, which is trying to, when if you have an alien species who's so alien that you can't actually communicate with, mm-hmm. getting that across at a visual medium is tough. 
It works a lot better on the page. Yeah. Uh, but again, I thought I for for the fact that it's not particularly well known anymore, um, but definitely something that could could in the right hands could be a solid remake. Um, two werewolf movies. This is this is a combo deal. Okay. Werewolf movies are tough. Yeah. Right. Um, Wolfen and the Howling. Mm. Now the Howling has had a bazillion sequels. Yeah. There were there folks. There was a marsupial one. <laughs> there was the Howling, the marsupials. I'm not making this this up. This is the thing that happened. There, the world. The yeah. world is a very wrong place sometimes, but. Uh, werewolf movies can be tough and both of these come from very very different places but they both have areas where they could you could basically go in and tell these kinds of stories again now we've been hearing there's supposed to be a howling reboot in the works haven't mm. heard much about it I haven't, I haven't heard about that one um but the idea of the howling of course is reporter goes to a community discovers the community has its own dark secrets there of the hairy and fangy variety Right. Yeah. Um, so that's you know hidden. You got you got a hidden uh, society of werewolves. You got exposure. You got the twist ending, which I won't give away if you've never seen the film. The first film is actually fairly entertaining, and the effects have a lot of impact, especially at the time. But it's another one that would benefit more from not only the advances in practical effects, but CGI would actually help this film. Sure. Is it now, is it The Howling that's getting the remake, or was it American Werewolf in London that was doing it? So I had heard The Howling, American Werewolf in London, any remake should be killed with fire. <laughs> because it's not, again, it's not necessary. And it's also, see, American Werewolf in London actually holds up. Yeah. And it had a sequel which we try not to talk about. It was set in Paris. And if you've ever been to Paris, and I have, you're like, no, sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, Sci-Fi Snob says, what about the Howling Chipmunks version? Um, quite frankly, considering what happens to some of those werewolves, uh, <laughs> if that happens to Alvin, Theodore, and Simon, I'm not going to complain. Right. Um, but the caller was inside the house. That's funny. Um the Wolfen, Wolfen was a really interesting uh, uh, werewolf movie because it brought in uh, Native American uh, mysticism. Mm -hmm. It treated uh, the wolf, it wasn't exactly a werewolf, what you can normally consider to be a werewolf movie. There was a lot more going on in it and it was very atmospheric. And again, I think it was the kind of film that would benefit in... It would work better for a modern audience than it was, than it worked for the audience at the time because they were expecting a certain kind of horror movie. Right. Whereas now we've actually got to this point now with, with the with the horror landscape. We want straight up, give me that blood and guts and gore. That's fine. That that's this set of horror films. And then we want the slow burn creep factor. Those are over here. And then this you know area in the middle where where things get fun um this could this could definitely fall into that and and quite frankly it's a uh it was a really different take on werewolf film of, of a monster movie at the time right. and i thought i i thought it was interesting it doesn't quite work um i think some of that's just pacing well and but I'm i think that would be that'd be a fun one whitley's whitley streber i keep seeing his name uh, on some different things, and I didn't realize they had written that. But we have um, we have some uh, reviews of a set of stories that he wrote. Let me look up the the titles on this because there were three of them uh, that he wrote. There that are in. A, a, a trilogy of sorts. Let me see if I can see um, more books. Because I think they made, they tried to do, Sci-Fi Channel tried to make a, an adaptation of the first one of these. And 
it didn't go over well. Alien Hunter. Oh, okay, yeah. Because you've got Alien Hunter, you've got um, Alien Hunter number two, which was... Uh, I can't remember what it was called, but it's got... There's three books in that, in that sequence, in that set. And... It's not bad. I, re- I read the first one. I haven't read the other, the other two. Um, but it's it's okay. I don't I don't know that you in, can do a good a real good. I mean, it, I never got into yeah. Striver. I, I, I he's uh, and a very different thing, right? But it's like Robin Cook, right? Robin Cook was this huge medical thriller writer. Sure. And he had, you know, he was huge. He was gigantic. And I read one of his books. And I'm like, well, that's nice. And I, there wasn't anything wrong with it. It just didn't particularly appeal. And then same thing with Stryber. Even though it's, you know, he, he's dealing with a genre that he, just one of those authors. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. You know, I, I, if you're a fan of his folks, then by all means, I'm glad you enjoy his stuff. It just never worked for me. Um, I think that... A lot of this, well, a lot of, of anything where we sit there and th- say, you know, well, it, it deserves a remake or it deserves a reboot or, or a sequel or whatever. A lot of it is personal taste oh, uh, to of a certain course. extent. But you also look at, you know, how studios are behaving right now. And they're always looking for a recognizable title something that's yep. already got some history uh, because they're, for whatever reason, they're afraid to do anything original and take that kind of risk. And maybe maybe there's an opportunity here because as much as, as all of these studios are leaning so, so heavily into streaming, there could be opportunities to do series, you know, limited series with a bunch of these, or you do uh, a lower budget film adaptation in order to try to get people back to the movie theater and and help the box office. I think that one of the things that, that the current mindset is, is that blockbuster franchises get them into the theaters these these six episode eight episode streaming series um you know these films series, uh the fear street trilogy right they made a trilogy of films for a streaming service right yeah the, this this idea that you can put this stuff that's smaller and lower budget on the streaming services and people will tune in for that but to get a, to get their butts in seats in the movie theater you've got to have the big budget stuff because they're thinking of the international audience and, and this is this is a the plus side of the streaming is that means that those small dollar productions aren't dead. They've right. just moved to a different medium. They're still coming out. We're still getting the romantic comedy that's $3 million or the, the you know, the uh, I just have haunting a, of... I just have a how problem. How you feel about that is another question because some of this yeah. stuff, I miss seeing that million dollar you know, low budget indie film drama on the big screen because there's not a taste for that. Well, in you, the studio, you miss now. you miss the communal aspect of it. Oh yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. Buckaroo Banzai, for example, if <coughs> if it was made today, the same, you know, if all circumstances were were equal, and it went straight to streaming service, then. I don't know that it would be the cult hit that it is today. It it <sighs> did the it did the movie screening and it found a little bit of an audience there. It didn't right. do very well in the box office, but the people who saw it enjoyed it and they you know there was word of mouth and all that. If it had gone straight to video, straight to streaming, I don't know that it, I don't know that it but would it, have it, found that same audience because you don't but have it's, the it, the group experience. And and there's part of that, but it's also one that, that really found an audience on VHS. And I think that, that, yeah. that that's because that's the one you shared. You shared it with your friends on your own couch. So you had like three or four friends because, you know, because this is what we did. It's like, have you guys seen Buckaroo Banzai? No. 
no come friends yeah. let's get some alcohol and some food and let's sit on this and, and and watch this movie yeah there's something to that i don't know i just i i have a i have a a natural old man's resistance to streaming uh, just simply because it's it's this newfangled thing, and I think what troubles me the most about it is just how fanatical the studios are chasing it. Mm-hmm. Because at some point the bottom's going to fall out of it, just like it did with cable, and just like it did with home video and DVD rentals and the and the home video stores, Blockbuster, and all of that. Streaming streaming is going to run out. I think I think your comparison, to, especially to to VHS and DVD, is very apt, um, because I think that's kind of where you saw so many films that are coming from the studio that are going direct to DVD because they knew there was a platform for that. They knew yeah. there was an audience, folks who would go and pick up this film they'd never heard of from the video store, and it would turn into a cult hit. And I think that's one of the reasons that some of the stuff on on my list, of so, some of these horror titles I've got here, end up being the kind of films you remember but think they could get a remake is because I saw them on VHS or right. DVD. And that's the only place I saw them because I didn't see them in the theater. They had a small run or they didn't reach a large audience. Um, Pumpkinhead. The Pumpkinhead, so there's been like three Pumpkinhead movies. It's ripe for a reimagination. Mm-hmm. Uh, if this If this list had been made a year ago, Hellraiser would have been on here because it, need, it you know, we, it we haven't got that remake yet. No, but we're getting two, no. both of which involving the creator of the story. Um, Nightbreed, another one, uh, which I did see in the theater. Another Clive Barker thing that that got this far. Would you read needs to go? Would you remake Leprechaun? Okay, so first of all. <laughs> That's one where you could actually do it as a sequel, yeah. If you wanted, to. and here's the okay, here's the thing: horror fans, horror fans are used to the crappy sequel. <laughs> so when everyone's freaking out about the Star Wars sequels, right? However you feel about them, you love them, you hate them, whatever. It's you know, all power to you. Horror fans sat there and went, "Oh, you sweet summer children." Because it's like you've ruined Star Wars. It's like get in line, kids. Well, you ruined Friday the Thirteenth. You ruined Halloween. Halloween three came out. Yeah, from the people who brought you Halloween one and two, with a conscious decision, we're going to make this an up film anthology series. And audiences sat there and went, "You've ruined. You. We have to cancel Christmas now." And and this is but this is a this is the thing. So studios look at we talk about streaming. Studios look at horror films and go, well, they used to, especially in the eighties. These aren't important movies. Yeah, no one cares. They don't have to be good. They just have to be rentable. It's the equivalent of the pulp novels of the twenties and thirties. Yeah, to some the, degree, yes. The, the problem is, yeah. is that horror audiences turn out, and we see this now because studios have come to realize this. And we had there's clearly, based on the films that are coming out and the series, TV streaming series that are coming out, horror audiences actually do want good product and content. <laughs> we do enjoy cheesy nonsense. There's no question. Yeah, but we also like stuff that's treated seriously and, and dramatically. Um, Christopher says they've made they remade a straight horror remake of Leprechaun Origins and it tanked. Yeah, but see the problem is is that okay? So here's here's where things get wonky with things like Leprechaun, and this isn't so. <sighs> you get into and this is this is this is actually going to Wolfen might potentially have this problem as well because again like I said it deals with Native American mysticism right and you would want to this is one of those things where you would actually want to get an Irish folklore professional somebody who's you know an actual scholar sure involved with doing a leprechaun reboot if you're going to take it from scratch get get a professional involved who knows the subject matter and lean into the fact 
that leprechauns and fairy and the unseelie court and all of the the darker aspects of of Irish folklore, mm-hmm. there's some terrifying stuff in there. Yeah. Lean into that hard and then make it and then so so you're both teasing the the idea of the leprechaun story, but you're leaning into the straight up horror aspects because there's so much nightmare fuel with with the the folklore about about the fairies and the fey folk. Yeah. However, the problem is that what made that film series successful is leaning into an American stereotype, which is the Lucky Charms. Right. It's the Lucky Charms character is a horror movie, and and this sort of oh Oshmacora, I'm a little Irish leprechaun, which is you in Ireland they're like <laughs> really. Well, it's like um, it's like making the Banana Splits as a horror film. The Banana Splits as a horror film was actually really entertaining <sighs> because it knew what it was. Yeah. It knew what it was, and it's not. I mean, I'm not saying it's a great movie, but it was entertaining because it knew what it was doing. Um, but I mean, that's. I think that I think that you you'd have to either go down two paths one of one of two very distinct paths for Leprechaun. <clears throat> Lean into where they've already gone we're just going to be ridiculous cliched nonsense and there's an audience for that i enjoy that stuff sure depends on the product or sit there and go have we mentioned that um you should be terrified of fairies and and not think that they're pretty cute little things have you seen their teeth they have a lot of teeth (laughs) and they're very sharp and there's a lot of them, and they're coming at you to say hi. So, no. And they come for your children because fairies steal kids. There's a lot of fun stuff you could do with, with a straight up uh, leaning into. And there isn't really much of that out there. There's a, there is your eight episode streaming series, folks. Here you go. I will give it to you for free because I want to see it. Um, Dear Studios, give me an eight episode horror series where the walls because there have been a lot of novels that have done this this is their comic there's a couple comic series out right now they're doing this um give me one where the walls between the the fairy courts and and the world we live in are 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 thinning out because uh all you have to do is go back to well go back to shakespeare and read between the lines folks uh, Midsummer Night's Dream. It's a comedy, but uh, if you pay attention, well, comedy and horror follow the same emotional beats generally. Mm-hmm. In fact, mm-hmm. I honestly think mm, I'm going to have to look this up now. I think there was a horror version of Midsummer Night's Dream that was made as a really bad '80s horror movie. I mm. think there was. I'm going to, have to try and hunt that down. All right. Well, um, I know. I know there was a horror version novel of Hamlet. Ooh. Which, you know, there was a ghost. There was murders. Yeah. All right. And on that note, we will head out. We've we've gotten we've gone to our hour. So. Uh, there are there are lots of I think there are a lot of stories that are ripe for rebooting if it's done properly. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that everybody out there has probably got the one or two that they want to see. So if you have your sure. suggestions, you can leave us a comment or send us an email H2O at sci fi for me dot com. Uh, programming note, we have dropped yesterday, Sunday. It's the new day in time for Salacious Crumbs. McKenna is back. And uh, in the host position again, and we're adjusting for her schedule for school and and job and whatnot. Uh, So we are now doing this every other Sunday at 5 p.m. Eastern for Central. Uh, And then, of course, Monday through Thursday, we've got live from the bunker at uh, 1 p.m. Eastern. And then on Saturday, Good Morning Multiverse at 11 a.m. Eastern. We hope you join us for all of those. 
And if you have not subscribed to the channel yet, we do invite you to do so. We've crossed 1930. And we're one shy of 150 over on Odyssey. I would, I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm, I'm watching it and I'm thinking, come on, just, just one more. Just one more over on Odyssey. And we still just kind of <laughs> hang there, 100, 149. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you find us over there. We're on all the socials, so you can find us uh, various different places, and that's where we post updates and announcements and whatnot. And uh, we'll do this again next week. Yeah. We'll pick a pick a topic off our list, because we have a list. We're working on a list. We have a list. <laughs> all right. Thanks very much for being here, everyone. Have a good night. Good night. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.